Welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective on a sale fest weekend. So Zach will know this. The only reason that we broadcast from New London is sale fest. Because when he was a young person, and by young person I mean 3 to 17, we brought him to Sailfest every year, uh, we being his mother and myself, to see one of the two greatest bands in the history of Connecticut, the Reducers. The other one is Spring Hill Jack. And so, Zach, how are you doing on this Sailfest weekend? It's uh, I I am regretful that I'm heading to Philly tomorrow uh, morning on the train because I can't fully appreciate uh, what Selfus is about, which is drinking from about 1 p.m. to 2 a.m. every day and uh, and dancing your ass off. And uh, I, I, I regret that I will be unable to do that this year. So for people who don't know Selfus in London, it is an opportunity for people from throughout the Northeast to descend on New London, go to the great bars of New London, drink the great drinks of New London, and then vomit on the great sidewalks of, of New London. London. Yes. And that's something that's usually only available to New England residents. And because we are at the, the intersection of sports and politics, I want to point out that both of us have been at the intersection of sports and politics because both of us went to see your lovely wife, compete in the nutmeg games and throw the javelin and she won her division didn't she she go she's a gold medalist oh, she's a gold yeah. medalist in her division she was the only one and <laughs> that well that is irrelevant because everyone else quit because they knew they couldn't beat her and then you by the way to just i will take a moment of personal privilege here my wife uh threw t- she coaches javelin and cross country uh collegiately which is one incredibly impressive because you have to actually be good at the sport to coach it collegiately. Uh, but she suffered an injury uh, in her warmups today that made it very hard for her to actually throw javelin. And much like Willis Reed running out of the tunnel, uh, famously the Knicks, uh, she persevered and did pretty damn well. And, and I will also say that I learned more about. Uh, Olympic throwing from her describing why every what every person did right and every person did wrong including herself that I had ever learned and I just think that like I was so proud to be there and it's also the intersection of sports and politics so we were there in the morning then you spent the day as the DTC chair of New London walking around candidates and I spent the day as a friend of us, somebody running for state office, door knocking, and now we're back doing another major sports pot topic because we're talking about NBA player empowerment. It's been a weird fucking day. It's been, but it's been the intersection of sports and politics, and that's important. So I have a question for you in terms of the Simpsons. In scenes from the class struggle in Springfield, one of the great Springfield episodes. Hold on, can you just? What's the plot of it? It's the one where Marge buys a Chantel suit for $99. Got it, got it. yep. The Chanel suit and the Chanel. Right. Yep, got it. There is a golfer who helps Homer learn his game. His big advice is don't think too much, and Homer says, not a problem. Who is that golfer? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I remember the scene because Homer blanks out and then swings the He wears ball. glasses. I I have no idea. Tom Kite. Tom Kite. That's such a weird golfer. <laughs> That's such a weird golfer. I think Tom, Tom Kite. Andrew, Tom Kite. I think not, won, not a name. I think, he had, won the, I unless, think he had won the U.S. Open right before that. He won in 92, yeah. I think um, it's in 93, yeah. Yeah. So, Andrew. <laughs> oh, man. How are you doing, my brother? I feel like I, was, I feel like my pride was a little stronger about an hour ago. Um, yeah, I beat well, you on a I beat you me. on a movie question sure. that happened, but and that feels bad. But no, but please. ultimately, you know, because we're always talking about sports washing. Unless I beat you on a sports washing question, it doesn't matter. So, I have a question for you. Sure. 
between 19 and 1983, Americans won four consecutive Opens, or what Donald Trump calls British Opens, but I don't know what to call it. The Open Championship. The Open Championship. Okay. Three of those were by Tom Watson. Yep. Who was the fourth, and is he dead or alive? It's uh, Bill Rogers. Is he dead or alive? He's dead. No, he's oh, alive. Damn, it's Bruce so Lipsky. you're His wrong. Buddy from Texas is dead. So you're wrong, but Man. you still saved the edible arrangements, but now you owe yeah. one. Rogers was in 81. Well, like, yeah, Man. the fact that you came up with that three fuck ups. did not surprise me, but was still pretty shocking. Uh, <laughs> by, by the way, uh, I'll be ranting about more V. Harper. And what will you be ranting about? First of all, I got to get some, all these erroneous things that I've been doing here. Okay. Obviously. You're like Max Kellerman. You're the uh, stat boy. I, I got to correct myself here because I owe it to the to That's Tony Reale. Tony Reale stat boy. By the way, Tony Reale, great Twitter follow, and I ask everyone to join us. Bill Rogers wins the 81 Open Championship, and his best friend is like is, is uh, t- another Texas-based pro, Bruce Litsky. Bruce Litsky passed away young, and that was who I conflated Rogers and Litsky there. Uh, last week on our live episode in my, my wheelhouse, my sweet spot, golf, I referred to a announcer on the live telecast. One, uh, I called him Kurt. Uh, called him Kurt Byram, and Kurt Byram is a, is a great guy. He's on the Golf Channel week in week out, doing great work. And I used his name. I invoked his name when I meant to say Jerry Fultz. Jerry Fultz is the Golf Channel alum that has been doing uh, propaganda for the Live Golf Tour. And, and, I just, and wanted, I just want to say sorry like to you, Kurt, and Jerry Fultz. Thank and, you, fuck you, bye. I just wanted to know, our, our, our Facebook and Twitter was literally and, blowing up and, and, with people saying, no, 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 it's not Kurt Byron. I had to address no, it. I had to address it. And the fact that we had to deal with... the fans demanded it. The fact that we had to deal with the $1.3 million lawsuit over the value of the Bill Bradley Collective, the 13th most popular sports and... Yeah, we got sports, we got sued, in, uh, politics we got, podcast. Yeah, we got sued for slander. I thought that was weird. <laughs> and the third is I didn't know 1941 was a movie that Spielberg made. So that's yeah. listen. May I culpa to the view? I'm supposed to be that guy that has like the the hard facts, and I just haven't had them here. Um, anyway, I will be ranting about tomorrow or Sundays. One of the finalists in the gentleman's uh, singles final. One Nick Kyrgios, Australian prodigy, and also um, dickhead. But I'm going to try to reconcile those and, and, things. And I will be ranting about the uh, Pennsylvania legislature's decision about what it means to have uh, state control over abortion rules. And, Andrew, you can explain the main. Well, you know, Zach, you gave a pretty good intro there of when Laura Nadelberg's number is called, whether she's hurt or not, she shows up and she performs. And in the last real, eh, let's say, decade, two decades of NBA basketball, players have taken a bigger share. They've, it's the era of player empowerment, as has been mentioned. And a lot of those players, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, James Harden, they don't show up when the number's called. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the history of player empowerment in the NBA, where we stand now, how we got here. It's a good conversation. It's all next on the Bill Bradley Collective. Driving into the crossroads of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Ed, Zach, and Andrew. So a mere 24 hours after Brett Kavanaugh was forced to walk out the back door of a Morton Steakhouse and bring his dessert home after a peaceful dinner because there were protesters outside uh, complaining that they had taken away all, he had taken away all their rights. After that kerfuffle, um, the Pennsylvania Republican Party decided to add language to the Pennsylvania Constitution saying that the Governing document does not guarantee any rights relating to abortion or public funding of the procedure. So first, they had to vote to waive a ban that no votes could happen after 11 o'clock at night because they didn't want it to happen during news hours. 
and they proposed amendments, including language requiring voters to show ID at polling places, allowing gubernatorial candidates to select their running mates and creating a system for election audits. But it also allowed lawmakers to ban abortion without any possible veto from the governor or override from the uh, Supreme Court of the state. This is what the Supreme Court claimed would be returning abortion rights to the voters. Here, within, what, two weeks, the state of Pennsylvania, which, by the way, voted for Joe Biden and is in general a Democratic state, if you don't count for gerrymandering, but you have to count for gerrymandering, a state that's going to have two Democratic senators. But the governor will not be able to override a vote on denying them abortion rights. It is going to be incredibly costly to do this. It's going to be incredibly frustrating to do this. But there, this is where we are, that the rights of the citizens of Pennsylvania to have their will reflected has been gone because Brett Kavanaugh and his, and his merry band of miscreants, miscreants of, of misogynists, of <clears throat> authoritarians, of fascists who now run the Supreme Court have decided that, no, we're going to say it's we're going to let the voters decide. But in reality, the voters don't get to decide and we don't care because this is our policy. And yet, 80% of the news this week, and, and New York Times, I'm staring at you. The greatest joy in my life was canceling my subscription to you and explaining why, because you are, they have become the most impotent organization in the history of the world. Dirk Diggler, at the end of Boogie Nights, had more potency than the New York Times has today. And, you know, the Democrats also made amendments, by the way, to try to make it, try to fix this, but they were all tabled. And as, as uh, Anthony Williams uh, from Philadelphia said, they introduced their amendments and they got to vote on their amendments, debate their amendments, and vote for their amendments. Our amendments were tabled. That's not a democratic process. That's not a transparent process, nor is it a fair process. But you know who will say it is? The fucking Supreme Court. And yet the New York Times articles were about, isn't it terrible that Brett Kavanaugh and his family had to take their cheesecakes from their $700 steak dinner home because they couldn't enjoy it peacefully because you can't protest outside their houses and you can't protest outside the Supreme Court. But, you know. They should never have any implications for their own goddamn actions. This is horrifying, and this is America today, and it's going to be worse two years from now. If you look at bills that Republicans have passed with minority support, looking at Michigan, looking at Wisconsin, looking at Indiana for when they passed their right-to-work laws, they passed these laws in the dead of night. They never passed these bills at 2 p.m. on a Monday. They pass them at 11.30 p.m. on a Friday because they know nobody reads the Saturday paper, nobody reads the, and nobody reads the Saturday paper, so they do the news dumps on Friday. This is what the Supreme Court has envisioned. This is what state power, this is federalism at its worst. You, By the way, you can't, a state cannot pass a bill saying the Supreme Court can't overturn us. That that is illegal. And you know the what? The state Supreme Court. There's, they can't pass a law saying any court can't overturn them. Because there's a thing we have in this country. I know it's been a long time to be thought about it, but it's called separation of powers where we have equal branches of government. And the courts have a right to overturn a law that is unconstitutional. Now, saying that they can't do this is literally taking away democratic rights. It, it is horrifying that this is coming from a democratic state like Pennsylvania, but not surprising because of gerrymandering, where even if the state is 80% Democrat, 
guess what? Your House is going to be mostly Republican because that's the way they drew the lines. And it's just another step in our democracy where we are creeping towards authoritarianism. Oh, we're sprinting toward authoritarianism. No, we're creep. I, I say we're creeping because a lot of us are like the frogs in the pot where they're turning the temperature up just enough where we don't notice, but eventually we're boiling alive. Is Morton's uh, Elite Steakhouse brand or not? Elite or no, Morton's still? Still Elite. Still elite they yeah. also, by the way, they, they put out a statement horrified by these actions that their customers were being harassed, not in the restaurant, but they were afraid they, they didn't want to leave their car. They didn't want to walk to their cars and be upset. By the way, this Supreme Court also said you could protest outside the homes of people who worked at abortion clinics. So what is good for thee is not good for me. We're just going to demote Morton's, and I just want to say the fact that I've been inundated all week with that story, Kavanaugh at this Morton's and his creme brulee, whatever the fuck it was, versus what you've been talking, what you guys have been talking about here, that I didn't really have any idea this happened, and that it's such a failure of our news cycle, of our news media, in so many ways that that's how. And sports kind of operates the same way in terms of like news dumps and like when you want to put you put the bad news, the consequential shit out at times when you don't necessarily want people to see them. Um, just a fascinating kind of... Just really quick as we finish up this rant. Do these Supreme Court justices deserve a minute of peace? Never. No. But, like, why is why is Clarence Thomas not being impeached? We read, we read over the weekend that this mega church that was against abortion was sending high-level donors to... This, to Alito, Scalia, and Thomas, to, and by the way, nothing against Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm so fucking over her. You know, like her friendship with Scalia, you know, I'm sure Hitler told some good jokes, but you shouldn't hang out with him. I mean, she also called Colin Kaepernick stupid and cowardly. Yeah, she, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the notorious, I'm not, I'm not getting the notorious RBG uh, tattoo, and I apologize to no one. But, you know, the fact that these people are just allowed it to grift, it's just grifting. Like, these large donors were going and praying with them and then taking them out to dinners, and it's like, that's okay. The Thomas makes these speeches in front of huge groups for huge money. This guy who doesn't find it necessary to speak at the Supreme Court but will speak when he's paid to? He's no better than these Trumpians who will only write, who will only tell the truth when they write their book. That's it. So on the sports end uh, this week, uh, here we are. When you listen to us this Tuesday or beyond, uh, we will know who uh, the victor of tomorrow and our time here, uh, Wimbledon's Gentlemen's Singles Final will be. It is to be contested between one uh, turd sandwich, Novak Djokovic, and... Maybe giant douche, oh, definitely giant douche, but complicated giant douche. One Australian, Nick Kyrgios. By the way, fantastic South Park references. Thank you. Tip of the cap. Yeah, that's one of my. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> Tip episodes. of the cap. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Kyrgios has been the story of this fortnight at Wimbledon, really, and the fact that coming in to me, and I've ranted about this before, the the disgraceful banning of Russian and Belarusian players, which I, you know. It's been on the back burner. It should have been. I, I wish ESPN covered it more. I wish the BBC covered it more. Uh, whatever. You mean ESPN didn't take a tough stand against somebody that pays them rights? Shockingly, no. I, I, know can't, all, I can't believe that. You mean yeah. the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network? Yeah. True True story. Um, but like I said, Kyrgios has been the narrative. And this guy is, at this point, a little long in the tooth as far as like tennis prodigies go. He's 27. He's born 95. Um Look, this is a what's I think ideally like a 45 50 minute podcast and I could spend 45 50 minutes going through Nick Kyrgios's long list of on-court infractions over the last near decade. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to tell you this is like John McEnroe like a, a performative John McEnroe like on steroids to like turned up to 11. This is a guy for the last better part of the last decade all over the world 
Grand Slams, top events, lower events, the fines for smashing rackets, abusing lines people, abusing chair umpires, abusing his opponents. Verbally and some sometimes physically, uh, he just this week he spat at a again a heckling spectator who was about to be ejected. Uh, Kyrgios took it upon himself to spit in that person's direction. Um, the thing that went viral with Kyrgios this week was in his third round match against heavily favored and I believe third ranked. Ready for this, Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, a Greek player of high regard. Um, they went at it back and forth verbally and on on court too. Uh, at one point, the clip that everybody I think saw, did you see the clip of Kyrgios? He's going to serve, and he actually ends up just doing a like kind of volley underneath his leg that Tsitsipas was not ready for, and it was actually an ace. It was actually a winner. And that got him a lot of acclaim on social media. But after the match, Tsitsipas said that this is this guy's a bully. This guy behaves like a just like an absolute kind of savage. And that's kind of what he's been doing for his entire career. This is his maiden Grand Slam final appearance. Uh, his best previous Grand Slam appearance was uh, he got a couple of quarterfinals. So to get to the final, and listen, he had a bit of luck here because his semifinal opponent was set to be one, Rafael Nadal. Right. Rafael Nadal had to retire from the tournament with, I believe, an abdominal uh, uh, he tore it abdominal towards Ab, yeah. Right, yeah. And, 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 yeah, that was... And Kyrgios would have been a prohibitive underdog in that match, and he's lucky to be where he is either way because he's won a bunch of five-setters that he's come from behind in. Um, if, if you bet that match... Before, Kyr- the, before the withdrawal? Yeah, would, would you have cashed? I think you have to... I, I think a shot yeah, has you, to be hit in the uh, match. You get, you get refunded. Yeah, I think yeah, the bet doesn't go through. Because I, yeah. re- I was ready to bet the dot on that, and yeah. then I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't. Oh, for sure. Look, the thing is, though, for all of his on-court theatrics and hysterics and just really buffoonish and total bullshit lack of decorum, this is a guy who for a long time has been, was ta- there's been many in tennis, but tabbed as the next big thing. When is this guy going to break through? Because he has all the game in the world. All court, serve, backhand, forehand, net game. He's got it all. But another knock is that he just doesn't give a shit also. Like, he just... It's totally, he said publicly that he prefers, his first love is basketball. Tennis is more of a chore. Tennis is a way of just paying the bills. But the talent is sublime. John McEnroe, his sort of uh, performative doppelganger, has said, I'm going on record, you know, many times saying, if I were to get into coaching, the one player that I would actually coach would be Kyrgios. And yeah, obviously he probably sees a lot of his own asshole self in this guy, but also because I don't think he wants to, coach a chump he wants to coach a guy with that kind of talent look how many years was back and row number one in the world i would say five or six five and this guy's never been number one not in i he maybe a cup of coffee in the top 10 but i'm telling you the gifts are there and this is it i mean again he's a little long in the tooth and he's a huge dog to joker tomorrow this guy's an asshole i'm not here to argue otherwise but goddamn there's something like kind of just interesting about his narrative arc as a prodigy as also he's as prodigious as he is as a tennis player his, his potential as a tennis player and his prodigiousness for just being one of the world's most kind of uh despicable on court uh you know thespians it's weird and again going against Djokovic tomorrow like I'm kind of rooting for I just named I just said Djokovic is one of the five worst people in sports so I, I gotta hitch my wagon to Kyrgios this is not like Kyrgios being an asshole is not a new development. Like he's no. kind of he's been an asshole kind of since he started. For sure. But this is his but the one greatest th- stage. But the one profile. the one thing is like he he's so fucking talented. And I think him having the personality he has, where it's this kind of love him or lump him guy, I think is good for tennis because tennis, men's tennis especially is filled with guys that are kind of assholes. But are assholes in, like, the way you'd be like, oh, you're not a fun asshole, you're just an asshole. Djokovic being one of them. And I think it's good for them to have Kyrgios who breaks his racket, who kind he 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 every Every clip I've seen of him, I've been like, oh, this reminds me of a clip I saw of McEnroe from the 80s. So, okay, so... I know Kyrgios only from the clips I've seen recently. I had never heard of him. I, I don't really follow tennis. And one of the reasons I don't follow tennis is it's like watching wrestling, but everybody's the heel. That 
everybody's an asshole except for and the men's not, game, in the men's ex- game except for, sure. for Nadal, who's fine. Nadal. Like, I don't, Federer Nadal's a good and guy. Federer, Nadal and Federer and Nadal are fine. We're also the two best of all time. But like, they're also kind of boring players to watch. You know, I mean, how many how many backhands from the baseline do you really want to watch in a game? You know, the thing about McEnroe is a McEnroe is kind of less of an asshole than Connors, and B there was Borg, there was Ash. There were people who weren't him. And the problem with tennis is, like, like who the hell am I rooting? Like, as, a, as just a sports fan, who the hell am I rooting for? Which spoiled, rotten, white, rich kid do I want to see win? You know what the answer is? None of them. I want them all to die in a fiery car crash. I want every single tennis player I've ever, male tennis player I've seen, to really suffer. And that doesn't happen because they're good at tennis. And so, like, like I, I don't know. You know what I know about tomorrow? Like, this is Saturday. You know what I know about tomorrow? I have built my day and never considered Wimbledon. And that would not have happened 25 years ago because there were people I cared about. And realistically, if Serena was like, well, Serena would have played today. Like, the, wasn't the women's final today? It was today. She, yeah, she, lost, she lost in the first round. Yeah. Right, yeah, no, but I mean. Upset today, too. Yeah, girl yeah, lost Rubanka. the first set. Right, but I mean, the, the, the women's tennis I used to occasionally work around because I wanted to watch it. But, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Tennis is built around which complete rich kid asshole do you hate the most is just not really, really a thing that, that draws people to the sport. And you know how I know that? Nobody's drawn to the sport. When I ranted about the the banishment of Russian players um, a couple months ago, I kind of was like, all right, in an ideal world, that obviously would not happen, and that you'd have one of the top Russian players, whether it be Daniel Medvedev, Roger Rublev, would win Wimbledon, and they'd get up there and use that platform to say, like, we stand with Ukraine. Like, we may be Russian by birth, but we stand with Ukraine. We oppose this war. And to juxtapose that with what we're going to get tomorrow, whether it's going to be a, a Djokovic victory speech or a Kyrgios victory speech, uh, those are two very disparate things and i wish for that we would have had the former than the latter so for the last rant i know we're going a little long here on rant so i'm going to try to keep this uh incredibly consequential supreme court decision as brief as possible uh the supreme court uh this this session had decided to channel their inner bruce springsteen during an encore performance and they're just playing the hits uh, they're doing Born to Run. They're doing Jungle Land. They're doing Rosalita. It's the e- no, it's the, no, it's the Eagles playing their hits. It's like, oh, you're playing your hits. We don't want, we don't like any of these. It's and there's this case in front of the Supreme Court that's going to be decided uh, called Moore v. Harper, and it's a case that has not really gotten a lot of press because it's a little more nuanced than say a case like Roe v. Wade, but. Basically, what this case says is that there's this thing called independent state legislature doctrines. And what that means is that legislatures will get to decide the delegates uh, for the presidential election. Now, I know America is a very normal country where we have not one presidential election, but rather 50 presidential elections that we then combine into one presidential election. Uh, we don't actually have a national popular vote. We have a state vote. Um, it's insane. It's never made any sense. It doesn't make sense. But here we are. And what this case will decide is basically what Donald Trump tried to do on January 6th, where they will say a legislature can decide to send electors for the presidency despite what the popular vote in that state said. So for an example, a very real world example, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, all have Republican legislatures. Biden won all three of those states. Arizona too. And Arizona. Biden won all four of those states. What those state legislatures could have done is say, you know what? Even though the popular went vote went for Joe Biden, we are going to send our state electors for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump would be the current president of the United States. Which is exactly 
what he tried to do on January 6th. This case is fucking terrifying because in 2024, if Joe Biden wins Pennsylvania again, if he runs again, which unfortunately he probably will, and he wins Pennsylvania, which he probably will, because he has deep Scranton roots, the Pennsylvania state legislature can award their delegates or electors to Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump and completely overturn the election. Now, over the last four presidents we've had, Biden, Trump, Obama, Bush, two of those people didn't win the popular vote. Both of them were Republicans. Well, six of the last seven have not. Six of the last seven have not won the popular vote. That means they would be president no matter what the popular vote was in the state. That means Obama could have not become president. That means Biden wouldn't have become president. This case, if it goes through, well, when it goes through. Yeah, it's when. Is the end of our democracy. Yeah, I, I'm... The fact they took this case based on the flimsiest evidence in the history of the world, and they took it because you only need four votes to take it, but there are five voters. And by the way, I know Roberts gets a pass on Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was six for three. Yeah. That was a six for three. That man is a goddamn monster. He, he was a deciding vote in Hobby Lobby. He was a deciding vote in, in Citizens United. He was a deciding vote in every bad vote we've had other than he wasn't a deciding vote in Roe v. Wade. If he was, it might have switched. No, this is the end of democracy, and it's not if, it's when. And this is why Joe Biden has to have a come-to-Jesus moment about the moment he's in because if we get 52 senators and i think that's really possible we being democrats if democrats get 52 senators which i think is absolutely possible fetterman well fetterman's won he's gonna win warnick's gonna win so that that's a hold i think matzo's is gonna win that's a hold it's the johnson uh uh mandela barnes yep. vote that's gonna matter and johnson might be in prison by that because johnson did what the Supreme Court wants to make legal. Because Wisconsin did provide alternate legislative votes. And Arizona did provide them. And Georgia did provide them. This is not a what if. They did do these things. And in Georgia, nobody brought it forward. In Arizona, nobody brought it forward. But in Wisconsin, Johnson gave those votes to the vice president giving him an excuse to give the the election to, to Trump, and he didn't do it. But Johnson might be imprisoned by that. But the problem is this country is so lost, so lost, so so damned, that this is an if, not when. I mean, when, not if. That's where we are. I got to say it. You got to share the belt this week for most horrifying uh, rant expose with Zach. That's uh, staring on the barrel at some really scary shit. Um after the break, main topic, and while we are not the near-dead neighboring Crystal Mall, we also have a hot topic to discuss today, and that is in the light of news regarding the Lakers, the Nets, many superstar players. Has the NBA's, uh, over the last 10-plus years, moved towards player empowerment? Have we gone too far? Have we fallen off the cliff? NBA player empowerment after the break here on the Bill Bradley Collective. Do you enjoy Pokemon Go, but wish you could also keep up with the times? Try Politic Go, the game where you can find and catch rich people and evolve them into senators and congresspeople. Paul Ryan, I choose you. Use white privilege. It's super effective. You can even catch actually decent human beings and try to change the world. My Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is evolving into a Bernie Sanders. You can even battle against your friends' politicians. Einstein, use loaded question. <laughs> Betsy DeVos uses dumb. Vouchers. It's super effective. Jeff Sessions, use memory loss. I do not recall. Politic Go, because the world is a fucking joke. So welcome back. So we're going to talk about the NBA and has player empowerment gone too far. So off air... 
uh, Andrew and I were having a discussion of when this idea of player empowerment started. And it actually started in 1972 with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who indicated that he was no longer interested in playing in Milwaukee and he wanted to go to L.A. And so there was a trade uh, between the Lakers and uh, the Bucks to get uh, Jabbar, which was it featured mostly Junior Bridgman and David Myers. It featured a couple other players. It featured picks. And the Bucks lost the trade by a lot. Because in the NBA, four quarters doesn't equal a dollar. If you have a dollar at one position, you get to have quarters at the other positions, by, too. By the way, I just want to point out, four quarters doesn't equal a dollar. If talking about the NBA, fantastic wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> Under, underrated. Yeah. It yeah. was not, we did not appreciate that in the moment as much as we should. Yeah, it was it was good. That's yeah. a pun intended. Yeah, but you, that I was think. that was well done. <laughs> or maybe not. I think points given when points are earned is the name of our podcast. <laughs> subtle, subtle genius. Over thank, thank you so much. But to be fair to Jabbar, a there was no free agency. He could not leave Milwaukee, and the only real threat he had, and no one ever accused Jabbar of not playing hard. Well, actually, people accused Jabbar his whole career of not playing hard, but no one accused him of not playing hard because he was on a contract, had a contract issue. Rather, they just accused him of not playing hard because if he's black, he must be lazy. Conversion to Islam. and Yeah, the whole, the, like, yeah, let's never underestimate racism. What was what was Kareem's non-Islam name? Luel Cinder. Cinder. God, I should have known that. Yeah, I, the second you said that, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right." Yeah, it's Luel Cinder. Yeah. So, but Kareem was, you know, and Kareem's a top. I would say top three player of all times. He is in my top three. Right. He's I mean, my, it's it, it, my, it's, it's Jabbar. It's either Jordan, LeBron, or LeBron Jordan, and then Kareem. And I don't want to hear shit about Bill Russell because Bill Russell dominated six, seven white guys. Like I didn't I know didn't... we had that synchronicity. That's like my top three, Jordan yeah. LeBron. And... Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Anyway, where you start hearing about player empowerment is with Tracy McGrady and... Vince Carter. Vince Carter. Vince Sanity. Sorry, Vince Sanity. Forcing not, not, their... Not to be confused with Lynn Sanity. Right. Forcing no. their way out of <laughs> Toronto. Because they did not want to be in Toronto. But both of them have been traded against their will to, to Toronto. Do you view that as the start of the player empowerment, Andrew? Or am, am I... You know, you kind of talked me onto that. Where I, 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 it's hard for me to contextualize, like, Alcindor in the 70s versus... Like, I, I remember Vince Carter wanting to leave Toronto and go into New Jersey at the time. Yep. Not Brooklyn, New Jersey. And McGrady forces his hand out to Orlando, which are weird, like, landing spots at the time for, like, guys that want to go play for a winner, get out of Toronto, and they go to North Jersey and, and uh, Orlando. But, yeah, that's a good jumping-off point of, of, of the idea of guys kind of forcing management's hand. Look, the whole thing kind of comes comes full circle, where we, I think, where, we, where I remember really first hearing the term player empowerment. It's the whole offseason of, of 2010, the summer of 2010, where uh, LeBron James and Chris Bosh, they leave Cleveland and Toronto, respectively, to go to Miami to pair up with Dwayne Wade. And at the time, these are three of like the top, two of the top th- four or five players and three of the top 15 players in the league to form this super team in Miami. And listen, at, at the time, there was so much kind of, again, the, whole, the, the announcement, which I guess was previously reserved Ooh. for Magic Johnson, in the early 90s. The decision. The decision. Did I say the announcement? Yeah, yeah the it was decision. the decision. It's which, so by the way, foul. giving LeBron shit about that it's, it's, because he donated, that bad taste. he donated all of the money to charity. And ESPN agreed to pay it. And then LeBron kept shit over it because of friend of the pod, Bill Simmons, decides that, like, oh. well, he's not a Celtic, so I'm going to shit talk him forever. Oh, no, I'm going to push back on this. I thought... Like, we talk about the NBA player empowerment era. That's the peak of it. Because it's one player making an entire media event about where he's going. Now, I didn't love that he went to the Heat. 
you know, obviously I would have preferred he went to the Celtics. I don't think the Celtics were ever competitor. I would have preferred he went to the Knicks. Knicks. I would have preferred he, you know, I would have preferred he stayed in Cleveland. I would have, yeah. My, my main thing was, I think he should have stayed in Cleveland. But this was him making this decision all about him. All right, but Zach. This was only about LeBron. LeBron would, like, now. now, Let me push back. He's a free agent. Yes. But hold on. His contract, he has no contract. But I will say before, like, donating everything to charity, obviously, like, he did not profit off of this. Except he did profit off of this because his contract value went up. But but wait a second. And here's where I'm going to really push back on this whole issue. And I do not believe, and I am not without villains, NBA player villains in this. LeBron's not one of them. A, his contract was up. He got to go wherever he wanted fair, to go. Fair. B, fair. his contract was capped because there is an NBA salary cap. The value LeBron brings to an organization has been estimated to be over a billion dollars while he's there. And LeBron gets 40, 32 million at the time, which is not remotely worth the value he's worth. Three, why is he a villain performing that super team in Miami? But Danny Ainge is a genius performing oh. the super team in Boston. Oh, Why hold, is hold that on. acceptable? I'm, well, I'm not. I'm not saying he's not a. I'm not saying he's a villain by any means. But was that not the peak of the like a player having a thirty minute no prime time? A single player having a 30-minute prime time spot dedicated to what team he's going. No, no, no we're going we're gonna to get to the peak. The peak is NBA players saying, I signed this contract voluntarily, but I'm not going to live up to it. Okay, that's fair enough. That's and fair that's, enough. That's, yeah, that's that fair enough. is where it goes too far. Okay, yeah. I agree. Enough. Like, LeBron had no contract. LeBron has taken the massive hit. On player empowerment, LeBron, there was a Laker year he didn't play particularly hard, but it was beneficial to the Lakers for him not to. So are you saying but Le- LeBron's played, when, Le- when LeBron is playing on teams, where it benefited the team for him to play hard, he's played super fucking so, hard. So I'm asking this, and this is not a leading question. This is just generally for the two of you. Do you think LeBron has not taken advantage of the empowerment era? I think LeBron has taken justifiable advantage of the player empowerment area and is not taking as much advantage as he should have because LeBron is far more valuable to the league and the team he plays for than what he has earned. LeBron, there is no amount of the NBA today, the value of the NBA today, and the value of the NBA when when LeBron entered, that increase is largely driven by LeBron James, and he has seen a tiny fraction of that. I don't want to step on the toes of, of something we'll talk about, that I want to talk about later, but, I mean, in a lot of ways, LeBron James kind of is this era of player empowerment. The fact that not only it was not only 2010, okay, but it was also... That, that was kind of what I was getting at But it's at also here. like when he departs... When he departs Miami for Cleveland, that was a that was a an enormous subplot. Not a Again, subplot. but his contract season. But his contracts. Fair. No, oh, I think I think no. no totally I think fair. I think your point, your point your point is correct that there is a difference between the NBA empowerment era when someone's a free agent and when someone has a contract. I think that that's absolutely true. But it doesn't change the fact that. Part of the empowerment of NBA players is when you get all of the attention paid to where you're going. But you are one-fifth an NBA superstar. There are maybe seven of them, maybe ten, that these guys drive the league at a level that is commensurate with their abilities no one bitches about the fact that Martin Scorsese drove director's salaries way higher than they had ever been before, right, or Spielberg, so. 
or George Luckily Lucas. So. And you know why that's that no one complains about that? Because they're white and not black. That's the reason. I here's you think the difference between Steven Spielberg and LeBron James in terms of market influence <laughs> has anything to do other than race? No, I think we're talking about apples and oranges. If oh, there, I think we're talking about apples and if apples. The, if there was a black director in the same van as Steven Spielberg, I imagine then we could have this discussion. Yeah, but there never will be because you're not allowed to be. This the Singleton is, Brothers, well, the second they have one bat. Um, if the Singleton no. Brothers did um, 1941. It's, no, it's, it's, it's John Singleton no. and it's the Hughes Brothers. Oh, the Hughes what, Brothers. What, what, John what, Singleton what, did not wait. The guy, the, guy, the guy who did Get Out. The guy who did Get Out. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Let's see what Jordan Peele's salary is in five years. Jordan Peele is not going to change the direction oh, I of abs- director salary. Oh, I agree. The way that LeBron or should have, or the way Steven Spielberg did. By the way, if the Hudson, Hudson brothers, the Hughes brothers, Hughes brothers, Hughes brothers or John Singleton, John Singleton ever directed 1941 as their third film, they would never be heard from again. And Sam Mendes does it, and it's like this big fucking Oscar ten nominations, and right, like you know. like 1941 it's, it's, would have killed a minority director, and yeah. it did not kill Spielberg. That's not, wait a minute, he didn't do 1941. That's Sam, no wait, Sam Spiel- Mendes 1941. No, 19 no no not 19, no no. What are you thinking of? The movie <laughs> that Spielberg did after Jaws with Aykroyd and Belushi. 1941 is that like that one shot war movie that came out? No no in all right so all right so go back. So we took a quick break, and for the first time in the history of this podcast, I remembered something better than Andrew, because 1941 was a Steven Spielberg movie. It featured John Bellucci and Dan Aykroyd. It did horrifying box office, despite an enormous cost, and it also has like an 18% Rotten Tomatoes rating. So, Andrew... What I would say to you is this. Is, dead or alive. No, is 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 John Is this an example of the fact that black athletes are held to a higher standard than white directors are, even though entertainment is entertainment is entertainment? I think very quickly, and yes, I, I apologize for confu- confusing 1941 with 1917, which was the movie that I thought you were talking about. A mediocre about. movie at best. Yeah, it was a, yeah. a lot of accolades. No, you were, you were within 24 years. I guess, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a win. You were within um, one world war. What I would say is that, and again, to your point, this will be in support of your point, in that you know Spielberg makes that movie, and he's coming off the heels of Jaws, which is like the modern blockbuster, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, enormous hit. He's got the cachet to sort of have that that mistake in there. And LeBron James, at least in like, you know, even in 2010, no rings yet, hasn't really gotten to like a Spielberg level. If we're doing a Spielberg-LeBron thing, where I don't, I think in 2010, the pushback at LeBron, if LeBron was coming off of like, had the Cavs won the title in 2010? A championship year. Yeah. Perhaps people are like, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want. Whatever. I just think it's a. I, I'm but, not sure it's a fair example. But, Points but, well taken. I'm not sure that's the but, best. But if your contract that. runs out, you say, and, and here's where yeah. I'm going to be on the other side of this. I'm in not 10 arguing minutes. that. I'm, what I'm arguing is that the vilific the the narrative vilification was unfair, but also like, I I, I, I was more mad when he gets up there when they get introduced to Miami. And it's him, and it's Wade, and it's Bosch, and it's before the 2010-2011 season happens. And I, they've all obviously been drinking wine, tequila, whatever, having a good time. And he gets up there, and he's like, we ain't going to win one. We're going to win two. We're going to win three. We're going to win four. We're going to win five. Didn't have a problem with the decision. I watched that live because as a Knicks fan. I watched though, it live, too. Even though they were probably yeah, we, 20 to 1 again. Yeah, you were together, yeah. It wasn't until he got boastful about what we're going to do when at that point, if you think back to 07, not so much 08, 09, Kind of like big playoff failures. Like there was some scar tissue on his, dragged, on his young playoff resume. He dragged the worst team in the history of the NBA Finals to the finals. But there's that that Cavs team. So seven. But I think the 07 fair, team is fair. the worst team that's ever made an NBA he, final, he, except he, for LeBron. But, but I think, in terms of Hollywood, he follows that up with two huge busts because they have the best record 
they have the second best record in 08, the best record in 09, and they flame out early. But and that's how he hits free agency. That's my. That's all I'm saying. But this isn't just about LeBron, because right now we're seeing the NBA empowerment era come where, Dad, you were talking about when people's contracts aren't up with KD. Not, uh, See, I, uh, I, KD. not KD. Not KD. I, I, I went with the wrong example first. Uh, Kyrie. So, for me, the problem with the NBA empowerment era can be defined, and I'm going to give McGrady and Carter a break. Rightfully so. Because they got traded to a place that had incredibly higher taxes and incredibly less interest in basketball against their will. Well, they got drafted there. Yeah, they got right, drafted. You're made to go, you're no made to go yeah. there. Has there ever that. been a better upgrade for an athlete than going from Tracy McGrady going from Toronto to Orlando? Weather, you went from paying forty percent income taxes to zero percent income taxes. Well, sixteen because it's national too. But yeah, but yeah, but I also thought that was wrong at the time. But I'm going to give them a break. Also, those guys also played hard most of their career. Where I have a problem is James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons. That those are the three guys that I feel have said, you know what? I have a contract. And if you pay me a third of the contract, I'm still making $9 million a year. And I don't give a shit. Like, that's where I have a problem. Because they signed a contract with the places they were in. That 90, like, that where I get annoyed with the player empowerment argument is that so many guys were put in situations they never agreed to, ever. And when they force their way into a situation which creates a great team, the Bill Simmons of the world criticized them but if somebody else forces them into a situation they didn't agree to, then they're geniuses. And that's where I have a problem. Harden, who has loafed his way out of two places, right? And has also gotten everything he's ever wanted in his entire life and has never won. That's one thing. Kyrie Irving, who feels the need to just play as often as he wants and I think it's very telling that no NBA team wants him. Like, the Kyrie Irving experience, and he is one of the greatest basketball players in terms of on-court ability who ever lived, so was Connie Hawkins. But Connie Hawkins could not play in, in the setting that existed at the time, and that setting was so, setting was so restrictive. Kyrie Irving, in the least restrictive time, can't exist. And he also couldn't exist at Duke. Like, he didn't play at Duke. Got so, hurt. He did get hurt. Well, you know, uh, I'm, just, I'm sorry. Just I, I don't think Kyrie Irving's deserved the benefit of the doubt on how hurt he is. I don't think he's deserved that. Um, And I also think that Harden, who doesn't keep himself in shape, who loafs his way in the most... Like, I think those guys... And the thing I think about all the time is as somebody comes out of labor, you never want the worst of us to represent the average of us. So the reason you cut ties with the worst of us is so they don't. And I think the NBA Players Association, and look, I almost give Ben Simmons a pass because Ben Simmons may have significant mental health issues. But, like, if Durant doesn't get traded, he'll play hard. Anthony Davis is the other one that just forced him his way out after he signed a max. That's another one that's kind of tough to swallow. Like, you took the money, you took the maximum money, and then you said, yeah, but now you have to trade me to somebody else. That kind of sucks. Like... No one, like, these are rich guys dealing with richer guys. And I tend to take the rich guys over the richer guys. But if I was a basketball fan in, 
Like, I don't feel any sympathy for the Nets fans. But, like, if I was I a basketball either. fan in, in, in Pelican world. But, by the way, the Pelicans got fair market value back. They absolutely sure. did. That team will be better than the Lakers this year in large part because what they got back. And if they had a Lorenzo Ball, they'd be even better. Lonzo, yeah. Lonzo Ball, yeah. They, and this is kind of where some of the conversation comes a bit full circle because you just made the point that, well, who wants Kyrie Irving? What we found out the last two weeks is like the only team that wants Kyrie Irving seems to be the Lakers. And the Lakers only want, the, only want him to get rid of Westbrook. Are also the same team that were the biggest suitors to Anthony Davis. Um, and who was kind of kind of pulling the strings for the Lakers since he's gotten there? LeBron James. LeBron, LeBron wants James to, LeBron wants to recreate that Cavs like, that Cavs it's, championship. It's Rob Palinka now, who's just kind of a yes man, the GM before. Yeah, yeah but that's how that's not his fault. Like if you are a subordinate and, and the person above you listens to you, that's not your fucking fault. You get to advocate for your position and the person who gets more money, and Polenko probably makes more money than LeBron. No, 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 no. When you count, when no, when you count all of his, all of his, uh, all of his clutch, ten percents, he makes more. There's no way he does. Still, still, yeah, he still gets those commissions. No, no, he still gets those. Andrew, I'm with you, man. I don't know. But anyway, but Polenko has a position above LeBron. You can say no. If you don't say no, that's on you for not saying no because you're in a position above. And you know how I know this? Because numerous NBA teams ignore the pleas of their best player. And I would also say that LeBron has created two or three separate championship teams. You know how many Polinkos created? Zero for sure for a lifetime for sure, but it's also he's also responsible for the Russell Westbrook calamity of the last year. Look, I blame Polanco for that. I don't blame fine. LeBron for that because I I don't LeBron's not going anywhere. He had no options. He had no player option. He had no option. The he would have done what he was asked to do because he always has. The broad point that I want to make, and this will be my my last my send off here. Um, one thing about this era of player empowerment in the last 10 years is that look the nfl offseason is a it's a narrative dynamo the nfl is in the news 52 weeks a year whether it's the draft free agency otas mini camps like the offseason is there's a reason why nfl live you know is on four o'clock espn five days a week 52 weeks a year the nfl is that they dominate all right for years and years, like MLB hot stove in December and January, like free agency in baseball was like a big, it, was, it, it, it not so much now, but it was a big deal for a long time seeing where you guys were going to end up. And what's happened over the last several years in the NBA is that all of this player movement, player rumors, Woj and Sharania and all these reporters trying to get in front of each other, the NBA offseason has has risen to that like clear number two, where like the NFL still, NFL season's number one. The NBA offseason now, and for the for like at least the last decade, it is a day by day. I mean, they look. We go we go from the finals to the draft, and we the NBA really has not you know lost all- much momentum since then, and they're not going to. We'll be in camp in September. Do you know like, the all time highest rated ESPN podcast has been? I would assume it's some of these low podcasts talking about Zach Lowe, free Zach agency. Zach Lowe, and, and, Zach Lowe, Kyrie, uh, and, and um, uh, Kawhi Leonard signing. That's all, that's for, also another one where he refused to play. Like for, that's to be fair, that's another one. He just said, "I'm not playing for this team anymore." A lot of the pushback on player empowerment is that it, it disempowers the league franchises. When in fact, I feel like player empowerment has made the league that much more relevant in terms of a national uh, scope, a news cycle scope, where the league and the teams are benefiting from this in terms of visibility, in terms of just. Uh, the next uh, bout of of television rights, it's it's done the NBA product a lot of good in terms of, like a, and like a Madison Avenue perspective of like the dollars and cents that they can command going forward. So, with that, with a more nuanced view of labor than probably sixty seven percent of us would have wanted to enter, but that is us. We are the Bill Bradley Podcast, and we will see you next week. 
As always, we thank you for joining us here. And if you like today's episode, smash that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let's help grow the collective brand. We'll see you all next week on the Bill Bradley Collective.